Welcome to the Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by the Apocalypse, finally we're all outside playing again. Let's blow out the candles and start the show. Welcome everybody to the Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Panucci's Pizza. The best pizza in New York with no delivery fees. Panucci's, we got a pizza going out. Come on! Welcome to the Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is the podcast where we analyze films to attempt to find out what makes them tick or not tick or how to become better filmmakers from the perspective of filmmakers and a musician and multitude of other things. Many hats go on our faces because who puts hats on their head? Um, <laughs> so as we, ridiculous. So as we dive in uh, to I Am Legend, I, you know, it's a it's a fascinating idea, thought experiment of where would you go in the event of whatever an apocalypse or the end of the world? You know, you're the last man and standing. Do you have a, a, a fallback place? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm going to do X Y Z. What's your yep? What's your game plan? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you. <laughs> Why did I tell you? What if you're a zombie and you like remember? It's my thing. <laughs> it's your, it's I ruin stuff. You never forget. The zombie never forgets. I feel no, like I have, I have a place. Nice. Well, okay. Um, <laughs> I know this uh, feels awkward, but very cool. I do. do you have a backup place that you don't mind ruining? <laughs> <laughs> um, not really. I have no. one place. Nice. <laughs> you know, it's it's like one of those end of the world scenarios where like you know the place. I love I love that you're not going to say it on the air. Like you're really I'm not going to say it on the air. That one guts. person who will, will like, so like oh serious. yeah. I listened to that one random podcast one day and that random dude said he'd go to that random place and I just happen to remember where that is. Was no. Yeah. Wiscogee, Wisconsin. I don't know where you know, anywhere fun. Wiscogee, <laughs> Wisconsin. Wiscogee, Wisconsin. There you go. Um, <laughs> I and I've thought about this really hard for the last four or five seconds. I would probably go to um, uh, New Zealand. I feel like that's such a great location. There's, for one, tons of like lamb or sheep or whatever. You could have as much oh, food yeah. as you wanted. The there's no predators there, so I don't feel like you would really have a. A struggle, you know, staying alive against Mother Nature. It's temperate, like you might have a cold season, but it's not. I don't think it's miserable. And and I've been there. I feel like you know, period for a small period of the of the cold season, um, even if not the most miserable of it. The only issue, of course, would just be getting there from Texas. You know, that's. But that's a half the fun, right? That's the journey. It's not about the destination, Todd. <laughs> Survival is about the journey. I mean, how are you going to get there if it's the apocalypse? I'd just like well, to know. Well, I mean, again, I've thought about this really hard over the last 20 seconds or so. Um, and I got to <laughs> say. Did you make up this question? <laughs> pontoon. Yeah. You know, just grab <laughs> pontoon, pontoon across the Atlantic. You know, my our, our ancestors did a lot more with a lot less. <laughs> did they? They did. That's true. Did. But we are not our ancestors, are we? No, I'm not a hardened uh, seaman, and so I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> but once I did get there, life is easy. I, I do think that everyone thinks that they would be the survivor. No you know one, what I mean? No one thinks they're going to be the dead person. <laughs> no, everyone thinks they're legend. Yeah, in this right. film, you know what I mean. It's me. When in reality, no we're else. the dead people. We're the know? dead people chasing you around the New York City. 
for sure we are. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. So what are we doing uh, today? So, uh, yeah, to, <laughs> to make long story short, today we are doing I Am Legend. So if you haven't seen this film, pause this episode, go watch it, uh, come back, because we are gonna, going to spoil some things. So Just a few things. We'll talk about... Things like cinematography, using light for dramatic effect, and for storytelling. I didn't really insert that. And we'll also talk about writing and storytelling. Uh, what makes this a fun movie to watch? And what is this movie about? And I don't know if I'm going to have a satisfactory answer to that, but we'll talk about all that and other such stuff and things and stuff. So a synopsis of the film. Years after a plague kills most of humanity and transforms the rest into monsters, the sole survivor in New York City struggles valiantly uh, to find a cure for this most this post-apocalyptic action thriller and i don't necessarily know that it is a play is it a plague because they thought it was a maybe it is but it's caused by it's, it's caused by uh, this made. cure for cancer yeah. it was human made so but I guess, it was a viral it was based on a virus and so i guess right yeah since it qualifies yeah. yeah because they use they they thought they transformed the virus yeah into some into a cure okay uh directed by francis lawrence screenplay by Mark Protosevich, 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 Mark Protosevich, sorry about that, Mark, and Akiva Goldsman. It's based on the novel by Richard Matheson, cinematography by Andrew Lesney, and it's starring Will Smith as Robert Neville, Alice Braga as Anna, Sally Richardson Whitfield as Zoe Neville, and Charlie Tahan as Ethan. There is a colony. I know, okay? How do you know, Anna? I just know. How? I said, how do you know? How could you know? God told me. He has a plan. God told you? Yes. The God? Yes. I know how this sounds. It sounds crazy. But something told me to turn on the radio. Something told me to come here. My voice on the radio told you to come here, Anna. You were trying to kill yourself last night, right? Anna, stop. And I got here just in time to save your life. Stop Do you think it's a coincidence? Just stop it. Stop he must it. have sent me here for stop. a reason. The world is quieter now. You just have to listen. If you listen can hear God's plan. God's plan? Yeah. All right, let me tell you about your God's plan. There were six billion people on Earth when the infection hit. KV had a 90% kill rate. That's 5.4 billion people dead, crashed and bled out dead. Less than 1% immunity. It left 12 million healthy people like you, me, and Ethan. The other 588 million turned into your dark seekers. And then they got hungry and they killed and fed on everybody. Everybody. Every single person that you or I has ever known is dead. Dead. There is no God. There is no God. So, <laughs> thanks, Will. Lighthearted. <laughs> yeah. What um, 
Now, you recommended this uh, a few weeks ago, and I, yeah. I know you were looking forward to it, and I'm wondering, uh, did this hold up to what you were hoping for, or, or what? How was the yeah. experience sitting down to watch it? So just right off the bat, in ways it did and in ways it didn't, um, the CG was not good. You know, I would I would give a, a four out of ten of the CG. And I think most of that has to do with like I mean, what do I know? But I feel like it has to do with like the lighting. Like stuff was just not lit well on the subjects, on the the CG subjects. They were obviously fake. It was like it took me out of it because they were so obviously fake. And I find that very strange because well, I'll get back to that in just a second. But but in a lot of ways it held up. I mean the I was really emotional remembering what happened to his family. Mm. They did a really good job of making me love that little boy in a very small amount of screen time, right? Uh, they I think they do like three or four flashbacks before we know what happens to them, you know? And I have very little small amount of time to like really care about that that kid and his wa- and his mom, but I do. And so when... I really found out when I found out what happened, I, I re, or remembered what happened. I was, I got pretty emotional. I was like, Oh, please don't show it. Please don't show it. That's like the worst nightmare ever. And, and I felt like the editing was really fantastic there because they don't show it. They don't need to, they imply it, which is almost worse, you know, because you just fill in the gaps yourself and then you just feel like guilty for filling in the gaps. Right. But it, it pulls you into the story because you're, you're, filling those holes that they give you, but they give you enough information to let you know what happened. I, I like the premise, especially right now mm. with what's going on. I mean, you know, everyone in the world is scrambling for a cure slash vaccine for COVID-19, pushing stuff through FDA approval faster than they ever would. Um, normally things take years, right? And, and there's a reason why, you know, like, Yes, it might cure the disease. However, what if it causes something worse, which is exactly what this was, what happened here. And so, that you know, they have to do years of study to make sure that that sort of stuff doesn't happen or that like, oh, it will it will work on these types of people, but not these types of people. And, you know, um, but you have to have get to certain level of, of clinical trials for that, you know, and, and human trials and stuff. I mean, you and I have done that before we we. We know what that's like. And so it, that, it takes a long time, but we're pushing this through. And this is exactly what the premise was. So it's, I think it's very timely. Yeah. So really the worst thing about it for me was the CG. And just to get back to what I, I said I would get back to is th- that part. You know, you look at something like, let's just use Jurassic Park as an example. The CG was amazing. It was unreal even now go back and watch Jurassic Park and you're just floored by the this almost seamless integration with the the live creature that they built like if it was like you know a live raptor with the CG version or the live T-Rex to be let's like that's the the pinnacle right the the T-Rex I think is the best part of the CG in that film and you know it's just it's really good. And then you have, you know, fast forward, what, 20 years. And, you know, we have a movie like this that has a really great story, a great premise, really great acting. And the CG just falls flat. And I'm, one, I'm sitting there wondering, like, did they run low on budget? Was it a, a call to, like, say, yep, no, that's it. That's that's right. That That's the way I wanted it to look. I'm not sure. 
but I think that would have put it over the top as like a really great film for me mm-hmm. because I love everything else about it. And I even love the length. I felt like, like the length was, it was like, Oh crap. It's almost, Oh, it's like, Oh, is this the end? I, I, I paused the movie to see how much time was left because I thought, wait a minute, there's another section, right? And no, there wasn't another section. It just, it, that was the end. And I realized, Oh, that's right. They never leave this place. Like this, this is it. He will never leave this place ever until he dies and he does. So I didn't, I didn't feel like, Oh, it was drawing on, you know, or Mm. man, it should, it could have ended here. It should have ended here. And it kept going. I felt like it was just long enough. Uh, there, there was sacrifice to it that needed to happen. That should have happened. There was hope at the end. That was, that's always wonderful to have in a, uh, a zombie film. Right. I mean, Mm. I think we do at this point have some zombie films where, there's just no hope like you're trashed and those are twofold one it could be it's setting up for a second like a sequel or two it's just ending like everybody's effed either way it's i'm usually cool with that because i like zombie movies a lot there was a time i was zombied out but we haven't had a good zombie movie since world war z so and that was years ago so i I think I'm all right now. And I know they were filming World War Z 2 and then they stopped production for some reason. So I'm not sure what happened there. But anyway, yeah, that was my that's my two cents. I thought it was really, really well written. I thought it was well acted and delivered. The directing was good, except for the CG. And that just really destroyed it for me. Uh, what do you, how did you feel about it? What were you, your feelings? I mean, I own it. And so for me, this kind of falls under one of my guilty pleasures where I enjoy it. I enjoy it. I don't think it's a good movie to be uh, blunt about it. I don't, I think it's overall kind of a bad movie and I'll get into all those reasons why, but that doesn't mean I don't enjoy spending time here. Like I enjoy spending time with Will Smith in abandoned New York city. Uh, I love all the personality that's in there. Uh, there's a lot of things to like about this movie and a lot of reasons to watch it. And I'm okay with that too. Like I tend to walk into a movie and judge it by what it's wanting to be. And so I'm okay if it doesn't end up being like, you know, this poetic Shakespearean delivery of uh, all the things important in life. Like not every movie has to be that. And I don't, I don't think this movie's trying to be that. And I'll definitely get into that in a bit, but I enjoy it. I enjoy it a lot. I, I think it really does boil down to if you like Will Smith, you'll really enjoy spending time in this movie. If you are ambivalent about him, you may not like this ride mm-hmm. because it's it's him. This is his vehicle. Yeah, it's all him. Oh, he's him. in almost every shot. So. <laughs> but what's crazy. So let's talk about the special effects for a second or the visual effects, because I agree they're bad. It doesn't bother me that much. I kind of it's one of those things I accept pretty quickly. And I know it bothers a lot of people and it makes it hard for a lot of people to watch. I just kind of shrug and move on because this isn't to me a movie that's bordering on greatness for me. And so I'm okay with some sloppy CG. But what's wild about it is that this had a $150 million budget, which in 2007 will get you a lot. Like this is a 2007 Mm -hmm. film. You can do a lot with that kind of money at that point. Now, maybe they're so busy doing so many other things like getting plates of New York city or rebuilding, you know, sections of the city, what have you. But I don't feel like budget should have been that big of an issue for this movie because you don't really need 
I mean, you have a couple scenes, uh, really one scene with extras, right, where you really got to pack it out. And I'm sure that scene took a lot. The whole getting off the island with the family, like that is packed with extras. And if you need to shoot that over the course of a week, that's going to destroy some budget very quickly because you probably got to feed all those extras. I mean, maybe they were finding a way to finagle a way around that. Uh, I would be surprised. That's a long day with a lot of extras, a lot of sets on hand to wrangle them all. And the hiring and sourcing and making, you know, costuming, wardrobing them all, that's all very time consuming. Uh, and it takes a lot of, it eats through a ton of budget, even though 150 million is a lot. Like you should be able to do all that. Um, I could, I could understand the totality of it begin to wear on you. And then you start having, CG dogs, CG humans. I think that's where they went wrong. I think they should have just had humans and layered on CG a little bit on top of them, not try to replicate the entire human being. Mm -hmm. I think that was a massive mistake. And that probably would have left you a little more budget for the dogs because I can understand needing to do a whole new CG for the dogs. Like that makes sense to me. That's a That would be a good use of budget. Whereas the humans, I think you don't need to have them doing this kind of Gumby uh, jaw effect. Uh, or at least if you do, you can build that on top of, you know, normally textured human being and create probably a really mm -hmm. strong effect that's even more like, holy crap, and, you know, poop your pants kind of stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I think, so I think they went wrong with that. I mean, shooting New York City, I think they probably rebuilt a lot of stuff and did a lot in posts with templates and said, okay, we're going to grab some stills and we're going to rebuild this and we'll put it on a back lot somewhere where we're green screening a ton and then inserting and compositing all this in, in post. That all makes sense. And I think that's probably what they did and the, the right way to go for sure. I have a hard time with that kind of stuff because I can see myself being able to do some of those things. Um, and I'm like, if you get someone who really knows what they're doing, like a, a Joe Howells or, you know, the, the team over there, I don't see that being a massive suckage, you know, with your budget, like it doesn't have to drain yeah. all your budget. I don't know. But yeah, going back to the, the, the bigger question, it's fun. I enjoy it. I, I agree with you. I love the use of audio and uh, the leaving the edits in the mind. We never see the, the helicopters collide, right? We just cut away before it happens. And it's like, oh, snap. Like we feel breathless. We feel his pain, even though he doesn't show it. He never really shows that pain. We just impose it onto him and that's i think a really strong use of editing like you said not overdoing the acting allowing him to just be instead of saying you know show it on your face no don't make us feel it make us you know empathize and and place that on you that's the best place you can put the audience in whenever we're fighting for the character now even when he's not fighting for himself but yeah i mean i'll, I'll run through some notes and then i'll get to my big questions that I have about the movie. Oh, okay, yeah. So cinematography, pretty straightforward. There's not a ton of indoor lighting. I mean, it's in there, mostly in the lab, but mostly uh, when he's out and about and whenever he's, you know, at home, mostly natural lighting, window lighting coming through. And I think that's to help kind of certify the sun as a representation of safety. Like this is our safe place. Whenever we have access to the sun, we are safe. As opposed to you know, early in the film, Sam, his dog goes into the dark building, right? He disappears. And then whenever he goes in, the flashlight becomes our main source of light. We feel swallowed up by the darkness, which is great. That's a great contrast from the daylight. And so that 
lack of exterior light down there represents and makes us feel that there's no safety of the sun here and it kind of helps envelop us and of course as we're crawling you know crawling around down there we're we're afraid that the dog got caught by a monster right and we see that uh the nose the snout kind of peeking around the corner uh, and we find out that it's a deer of course but i love the use of the flashlight here because it's a much easier and stronger reveal with the flashlight directing our attention directing our field of view so that there's only one thing to think about here, and that's to try to get us caught up in, oh my God, you know, he lost his only friend. And then of course you creep around the corner and our attention is so narrowly focused through the flashlight that we find out, no, it's safe, it's a deer. That removes all ambiguity from, from the scene, from that moment. And I think that's just a really smart use of lighting there for sure. And of course, you know, shortly after that, we accidentally shine the light on the sleeping monsters. Uh, and that's another great use of our light source to create tension because we see the danger and then we remove the light and our ability to know if the danger is passed, which leads us right to this cheap, easy jump scare that sets off our whole action sequence, right? He looks up and the monster jumps at him and he fires and, uh, and I love the noise after he sees and starts backing away from the sleeping monsters, you know, suddenly noise gets amped up like tenfold this little board is suddenly like echoing and it's you're feeling this tension of they're sleeping and this is a really loud noise are they going to wake up i love that and we also find out what happens right after that when a monster is exposed to sunlight which reaffirms our affinity or our safety in sunlight and so now we've begun also setting up some monster rules uh, which we'll get into in a little bit but I love the whole sequence, the Fred sequence where he's out of place, right? They set up a trap for him because he set up a trap for them. And mm -hmm. we found a smart monster who's now setting a trap for uh, Neville. And so that whole sequence is interesting for a lot of reasons. The performance is fantastic. Will Smith is, I think, amazing in this movie. And because he's by himself, like, you really got to carry this thing. Um, well, yeah. Yeah. Because it's you. It's just him. But I like that sequence. And I love, for whatever reason, I love that his voice is hoarse. And it's probably, I assume, because that's probably like his fifth or sixth take of yelling. And it's starting to go out. He's starting to lose his voice. I think it's a great choice. And maybe they were shooting in, you know, natural light there. And so you're kind of rehearsing through the scene to make sure you get it right. So maybe he's been running through it, and now this is the take that we got to get because we only have one shot at this thing. And so we've set up XYZ cameras, and we're going to nail this thing down. That sets up, you right, the, uh, the trap. He gets grabbed, and he bangs his head. The blood drips. And, of course, they're sharks, right? They're attracted to blood as established by his trap earlier, right? He crushes the blood vial. And so we're establishing this idea that they're attracted to the scent of blood, and now he's dripping blood very simple, easy visual communication that if you're e even remotely thinking about it, uh, the consequences, you understand the blood dripping into the water is a bad thing. This is going to attract their attention. What I really love in this shot as he wakes up and he's cutting himself loose is this angle that we use as he cuts himself loose. We're looking down and we get a really strong sense of the height and the drop, which really sells the pain of, you know, the landing and the knife jabbing him in the leg, 
so deep. That thing is hilt deep. Yeah. That is a brutal stab. And I think all that, that angling and all that is very important to set up the rest of the scene. Because if you don't buy that he's in pain, you're going to be really mad at him for not getting to his car a lot faster. And Mm -hmm. you want the tension. You don't want the frustration. And I think that's really well set up through the, the, the cinematography on that front. And in that same scene, I love the barrier of safety with the daylight shrinking, right? The dogs are there and they're, they're waiting to, to come at him. And it's really well set up with the, the sunlight kind of narrowing down. And by the way, it makes sense that the dogs are the one that finds them because, you know, they have the strongest scent. Dogs, I, I want to say, have like the weakest dog has like a nose a million times stronger than humans, something along those lines. It's absolutely insane. So it makes sense that the dogs would be the first ones to find him even before the, the sunlight is all the way gone. And so I love kind of the inner working. There's some logic that's at play there that I think is really smart. And so it's very simple. It's classic dramatic effect of the sunlight kind of barrier, right? You have the dog that gets hit and reinforces this idea that they're allergic to sunlight and that it can kill them. Very classic, simple, you know, tension building. Uh, It's completely driven by the narrative need more than anything, I think, story specific. But they did because... Like, why now? Why does it have to be happening right now, this moment that the sun is setting? But they do a, a, a simple and smart setup again with the alarm clock earlier, right? That nicely helps tell why he's waking up right then at the last moment because he has an alarm set off to remind him, hey, the sun's about to go down, get out. And so that alarm goes off, wakes him up, and now it triggers this moment. So that's there's some very simple, smart setup and payoffs that they're doing that don't ask a lot of the audience and have its own internal logic to the story, which I appreciate, you know, as a moviegoer, as a writer, I'm like, man, these are very simple setups and payoffs. And you're not asking a lot of the the audience, which is going to become a problem here momentarily. But as I go into story and writing, before I get into my issues, I want to reaffirm and go back through what makes this a fun movie and worth watching to me. And it starts with, as we were saying, Will Smith, right? He injects so much fun and personality and charm into the movie. And of course, he has to carry it all. We watch him talk with mannequins and have a crush on one of the mannequins. We laugh, you know, as he's awkwardly quoting Shrek and generally losing touch with humanity, even as he's trying to save it. As you know, the story unfolds, we realize He has completely lost his mental grounding to some degree, his social adequacies, which is flatly pointed out by Anna. And yet, you know, after after Sam dies, you know, it breaks him. That's the last straw. You know, is it that scene of him crying at the mannequin, like begging the mannequin to say hello to him? It's fantastic. Just unreal. You know, it's hard to believe he's the Fresh Prince, right? It just. Yeah. He's, He's such a good actor. And that is, it's such a good moment. Like we see Sam turn. And I think this is one of those rules that you need in a, in a monster movie about infection, whether it's zombies, vampires, whatever it's going to be. You need to see what it actually looks like when someone turns from normal to infected. And they give us that moment, right? Uh, we see him open the eye and see the eye go. We see him losing hair and we look at his teeth and then we see him 
like start jumping. And that's a heartbreaking scene because we're watching Will Smith kill him like tearfully. And it gives us so much empathy to play with, to buy into, you know, his hopelessness that you were just talking about, which is super useful for the for the next sequence, uh, because we've already seen Neville's mental state erode right from everything, setting this up to talking to mannequins. And after him having to kill his only friend that we've seen him risk his life for. This adds to his despair perfectly and guts us really well, assuming, you know, you don't hate the dog for nearly getting him killed in the first place. But I think we live with that just fine because the dog ultimately saves his ass, right? So I think that kind of clears it whenever he's fighting these other dogs. This is his element. This is what he's there for. And he kicks ass like Sam is. <laughs> Sam is legit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm on board. And so other reasons to watch this movie, and I, I think it's fun and worth watching, is uh, abandoned New York City. Like hanging around this empty city is amazing. We've seen this almost exclusively. There's only a handful of films that tackle this in, a, in an empty state. And this is one of the very, very few. And it's fun. Like we take a tour of how he occupies the city, right? In these fun, silly ways. He's racing down whatever Broadway. Uh, he's playing golf on a fighter jet. He's like hanging out, uh, hunting deer in uh, New York Times. We see the flat irons overgrown. And so there's just kind of this fun visual element to how he occupies the city. I think it's fun to see his cool fort, right? He's taking whatever, this brownstone or whatever it is, and he's turned it into his own little fort that as a guy is like my childhood dream, right? To, to have a fort that has all these cool things, the endless food stash and the metal shutters and the rigged fail-safe plan with explosives and hidden weapons. And uh, he's got all these things ready. And if anything goes wrong, he's got plans and contingencies and and extra contingencies and he's got a lab like I think there's just kind of this fun boyish quality to it all that I really enjoy the the inner boy in me the the endless 10 year old that you know just wants to explore those spaces uh it's satisfying for me in that way and then of course you got monsters like who doesn't want you know it's an empty city except for the monsters at night they all come out that's just a really fun dynamic I have no problem and that's why I've watched this several times this isn't something I watch you know, uh, this is my second time. I own it. I watch it periodically. So everything I'm about to say from here on out is out of love. <laughs> I get it. Okay. I just want to emphasize that because I'm liking this because we, we like disagreed on the last, I think three yeah. movies or something. We never disagree. We never disagree, but this is a bit of a mess, isn't it? Like what exactly is this movie about? It seems like it's all over the place. Here we go. There's the curse of surviving your own destruction. Like he destroyed the world. Now he has to live through it. And so there's a bit of a Frankenstein complex, right? There's a creator who's trying to fix his creation, correct his mistake. But it's not really heavily explored. It's just kind of alluded to. They never really go heavily into that. It's just kind of hinted around and they touch on it without ever like really putting the, the finger on it or, or committing to it. And okay, so... Maybe it's more about the, the science of it. Well, the science is rather facile, right? Uh, they open on this news report about a miracle cure for cancer, right? And then we kind of cut to three years later and the city's abandoned and it's dead. Nature's reclaimed the city and there's deer and grass and lions. and I, I did find that very strange. Like only three years and it looks like it's been a hundred. Yeah. I mean, there's so much overgrowth. I don't... That would... 
Like so much stuff growing through buildings and stuff like that wouldn't happen that fast. It, it seems a bit of a stretch. I'm sure they maybe have their, their logic or whatever, but yeah, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I, yeah, it's a little bit of a hard sell, I guess, but the cure of cancer, right? The, the worst disease that we have in uh, currently modern days uh, was our destruction. And there's this moment where he calls the virus elegant. And to me, I read that as this feels like a lazy attempt at feigning science for like dumb people, as as if by labeling a deadly thing elegant, it raises the conversation about his educated view of the problem. Like, oh, you're you're calling this really evil destruction of humanity elegant. You're paying it a compliment. And it feels very uh, facile, I think is the best Mm -hmm. word for it. And. The solution feels, I don't know, his solution is just to give them the cured blood, which if you were to dig down in this, if he, the leading researcher in the field that created the problem in the first place, is dead, then the odds are that no one else is alive capable of emulating his work and and figuring this thing out. But... I will say they're I think they're relying on the emotional weight of his sacrifice to carry the cure more than any actual like story rationale, which is fine. I'm okay with that. But it goes back to my point of what is this thing about? And so it's not a sci-fi heavy film. It's just they kind of just give it a nod to the idea of it all more than actually trying to tackle that or create some ingenuity on that front it's never there right we never really understand the cure it's just compound 19b-5 or whatever and so they're just kind of not so it's really not about science is it about racism right we have and i'm doing my best here hairless white people hunting a black man in the dark the white people are afraid of the light so to speak which could be symbolic of you know doing evil things at night right the kkk i don't know how much of their darkness they did in the the daytime i'm sure they felt free to do plenty but the imagery we're usually left with is burning crosses at night and so it kind of there's some emblematic stuff that might be uh, happening there there's some quotes in there cure racism by injecting love right he's quoting marley light up the darkness and so is it about racism? Eh, I mean, other than one quote from Bob Marley, uh, there's not much there. He listens to a lot of Bob Marley and he named his daughter, which that's uh, Willow Smith, by the way. Uh, he named his daughter Marley after Bob Marley. That doesn't really add up to anything, I think. I think the analogy falls apart pretty fast if you start to play it out. Like he's dying, fighting racist, but frees a minority and a white boy to start their own racist free community with his miracle cure. I don't know. I don't think it really adds up to anything. I Not that I'm seeing anyway. I'm happy to let someone else shout it out. So I don't think it's about racism. I don't think this story is ultimately about that. Is it about God? This seems to be the, the strongest contender that I have. The, the family, right, prays before they all jump on the helicopter and die. But the prayer is very generic. It's a generic prayer of, like, protection. There's nothing specific in there. Just kind of look after uh, my husband. Amen. And... Anna, in the opening clip, the the soundbite that we played at the beginning of the show, Anna says God told her there's a colony and has a purpose and told her to listen to the radio. And she found him and saved him because of God. There's some symbolic things around town that are like, there's a poster about God. I I don't even remember what it says, to be honest. But Neville, uh, at the end of the day, sacrifices himself to let her have the cure and live. Yeah. Why did he have to do that? That's... That's that's the problem. Like in terms of trying to complete the God 
theory that this film is ultimately some symbolism or representation of uh, God, then he has to sacrifice himself, right? This is God's plan. He's a Christ-like figure. He died to save humanity, cured by his work. But it seems kind of haphazardly thrown in, and really only in the last, like, 20 minutes of the film. Like, this isn't something that's been playing out thematically throughout this whole thing. There's not a very pointed setup or payoff and is uh, muddied by other conversations that are happening in the film, such as whatever racism and the science, like there's just, it's, it's very muddy. And I agree, like the, the, the sacrifice doesn't seem very worthwhile or necessary. And I don't think the emotional component was strong enough. So I don't really feel like there's a strong case to say that this is really about God and his redemption or him coming back to the faith, especially if coming back to the faith means he needs to die for it. That feels like a waste. And But he doesn't, he doesn't say anything about God when he does it. Well, does he? at the end, when he's giving her the cure and he's locking her away, he's kind of turning around again. He's like, this is God's plan or this, you're right. This is the plan. This is what you were here for. He alludes to it. I don't think you're, I think you're right. I don't think he specifically states it, but he says, I, you were right. This is what you were meant to do. And so there's some allusion to it, but it's not yeah. very strong. That sounds more motivating. You're right. Yeah. To like survive, survive woman. This <laughs> right. is it. You know, then it does like you're right about God. Yeah. And so if it's not about God, then this is a stretch again. Is it's it, just a zombie movie. Is it? You a, know? Uh, no, I'm not done, Todd. You're going to hear this. Oh. oh, OK. Sorry. Is it about mental health and loneliness? I think there is, you know, something in there about it. There's conversations and relationships with mannequins that hints at, you know, some deterioration of his of his mental health and the state of his need for social aspect. And so. It seems like he tries to commit suicide, right? Which could play into some of the mental health uh, relationships at stake, mm -hmm. right? He sets another trap on the dock. I love the silent sprinting, right? The calm before the storm. That's a really great setup moment, man. It's such a beautiful uh, moment. What's happening here? Is he trying to go out with a bang? Is he trying to commit suicide? She even says so, you know, after the scene. She says, I, I think you were trying to kill yourself. And he's rescued, of course, which gives us a flashback to the imminent death of his family. Right. It's underscoring his losses and his despair. But nothing else is really built from this. She rescues him. And now we get to have kind of our first real conversation of the movie. Right. Everything. Every other conversation was a flashback. It wasn't real time. And so which highlights his inability to connect with people. But there is nothing really comes of that. It's not like suddenly, you know, he learns to live again or he learns to connect with humanity again. Instead, he just sees that there's a cure and that he can help undo a little bit of what he's done and he does he ends up killing himself but with a different motivation beyond that like it's more of hope and sacrifice for whatever reason right the dark seekers find him the cure works but he's out of time uh the smart monster that we find one for whatever reason that's never explored or explained there's just a smart monster and i think the point of that would be to point out that there's still something in there worth saving there's still some kind of humanity left in them that you know is worth fighting for of course he ends up killing him 
<laughs> and so, again, yeah. what, what are we doing here? And so the monster's right, trying to break through, and he can't really finish his cure or whatever. The, the best case scenario is Neville feels like he has a chance to save his family, right? He couldn't save them the first time, but now he can save them symbolically through this woman and her, and not her son, but a little, a little boy. And now he can cure the disease and restore his faith. And But like you just said, it feels, his redemption feels really unnecessary. It feels cheap. And kind of a bottom line, this is a, this movie feels like a situation where they kind of forgot mm-hmm. to tell a story. And it sucks because I think any one of these things could play really strongly. And I think you wind up with a much more fulfilling experience by just changing all these moments to, to one thing. Like it opens on this sports talk announcer on, on the news discussing the game. And there's a lot of wasted moments in here that could have added up to something much, much better. And it probably would have called for rewriting the ending a little bit. I think you still could have had an action packed ending. I think that's all they were going for. We want people to feel like he sacrificed himself and this is his legend. It was a very cheap payoff and a very thoughtless payoff that could have been so much more if you took all these random bits and pieces of conversation and redirected them to one thing and said, we're going to discuss his redemption and we're just going to make it about him being redeemed for his mistake. He's got this Frankenstein complex and we're going to really commit to all these conversations about what he's done to humanity and how he's going to restore humanity by sacrificing himself. And you can tell such a stronger story if you commit to one of these things instead of, you know, buckshotting all the things. The exposition, I, I like the exposition. I don't have any issues with it. Uh, it's simple. Yeah. It's pointed. They the, write the fridge. He opens the fridge up and it reveals the time cover, right? Him as savior. And it's this question mark savior. And so it's kind of pointed to him being the head of this miracle cure. And it tells us he's an important figure in the downfall of humanity without ever saying a word. We see another one later whenever he's foraging, so to speak, to stay in the light. And that's just news clipping on a board. And it's slowly revealing the monster rules. Every monster movie has its rules and they're slowly setting up all the rules. And I love the, the stay in the light bit, right? It's quick. It's easy to digest. It's just a snippet. Um, and now we know monsters are light sensitive or for whatever reason, you're safe in the light. So there's some conflict between the monsters and light. And we see that they sleep in the dark, right? He goes in with chasing his dog and we find them sleeping. So there's some level of humanity. But they're in a group. There's this heavy breathing. And it kind of looks like bats. And it's lightly indicating that they're kind of vampiric, right? His trap tells us that they're attracted to blood, which kind of says vampire. But they kind of move and act like zombies. And so they're kind of this hybrid zombie vampire-y thing. But they're not smart or talkative. <laughs> they, they have very little to say. <laughs> Tea with these guys, talkative. not going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's it's mishmash, which I'm fine. Like, I don't mind that we don't understand 100% of what these things are. I think the novel that it's based on is a completely different story and I suspect would have been a stronger movie had they stayed faithful yeah, was- to it. I was going to ask if you've read it. It's on. It's funny. I've, I'm actually pretty close to reading it. It's on my. It's on deck. I'm like one or two books away from getting to it. Okay. And so I am curious. I wouldn't be surprised, man, if they end up like turning it into like an HBO series at some point, just because it feels like that my, sounds fun. Yeah, it feels like something they could explore because it's still unmined because of how much I assume they altered this story 
to fit as a Will Smith action vehicle. I, I suspect there's still a lot left there to mine. But mm-hmm. generally, that's my that's kind of my takeaway that this is a really fun situation that they kind of forgot to tell a strong story with, which, you know, uh, a stronger through line, so to speak. Yeah. I don't know. No. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I think you had some really good points and and actually changed my mind a little bit on some of this stuff. Because, you know, sometimes I can watch a movie and just like, you know, like this is a good example of uh, apocalyptic movies, just period. So I'm probably going to like it and it's up to you to make me not like it. <laughs> and then when Will Smith's in it, it's hard to make me not like it um, or to see the, the blemishes. Um, but those all make sense. So like, whereas... I might say I like the movie. I might feel a little incomplete mm. at the end of it and not be able to put my finger on on why. And I think that that you clarified that really well because I did feel, even though I liked the length, I did feel like, oh shit, we're already here and it's this is it's already over. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm fine with that. But then it was over, and I remember thinking like, why didn't he just throw the grenade and then get in and close the thing? close the door and stay in there with them. Maybe because there was only enough room for two. I can't, but they, I don't, I don't know if she they mentioned says, that. No, she does. She says there's, there's room in here for you. Oh, that's right. She says there's room. It would yeah. have been a much well, maybe easier he, fix. I mean, if, if she would have said he otherwise. was trying to kill himself, so he did want to die. Yeah. So that's, but that's a weird that's thing to thing. kind of reaffirm. Like, and Hey, don't get me wrong. Like I'm all for whatever you want to do with your life. I'm all for dying. Like I mean, if, if that's what you really want, uh, I'm, yeah, you know, okay. But I don't know that that's kind of the message that they wanted to send. And this doesn't strike me as a movie about your own quality of life. Like this isn't him having a really tough time and he's, he's choosing medicated doctor prescribed or whatever. Like this doesn't, this isn't that topic. And it goes back into, yeah, everything we're talking about. Like, yeah. Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> but yeah. I agree, man. The runtime is great. Like you feel amped up. You a lot happens, and you do feel surprised. Like, oh man, we're already we're already here, mm-hmm. which is a which says a lot. Like they tell a lot of story very quickly, and it's you know very satisfying overall. It's pretty satisfying. Uh, you know, it's fun. It's mindless, and it sucks that with this same runtime. They could have told a stronger story with very few adjustments. Yeah. yeah. You know, one thing I didn't like that I've never liked um, about this, but this time in particular, I don't like smart zombies. Mm. Like they're zombies. It feels wrong, right? They can be they can be the, the drony, you know, uh, walking dead zombies or they can be the fast 28 days later zombies. I don't care. Like they're one or the other. They're not in between. They're either superhuman because they use hundred percent of their muscle all the time, which sounds legit or they're super zombie ish and can barely move, which also sounds legit because of all the knowledge I have of zombies. It sounds exactly <laughs> legit, but like to be smart too, and to reset up a trap, then it's just, you're just, you have an enemy, Yeah, you know, that one zombie. And, but I guess these weren't zombies. I guess these were just like creatures that people turned into because of the the virus so yeah and that probably didn't help maybe i'm looking at it wrong maybe no yeah i mean i my my feeling is that they're maybe originally supposed to be smart vampires and for the sake of the action 
they turn them into mm. zombie mm-hmm. parallels. It, it's interesting that you're talking about what the, what is this movie about? I, I really don't think it's about any of those things. Uh, what I think it's about, I don't think that they did it well to like bring it home, mm. but I think it's, it's about the human beings either going a step too far or going steps too fast. Does that make taking steps too fast? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we're desperate to find a cure for cancer. So, Oh, we, okay. We, we do. And we're, we're putting it out and we, we, we have all this knowledge and, and all this stuff. And then it just completely backfires on us. Now, obviously we lose that. Like we get that in the beginning. That's a setup, but then it doesn't pay off at any point in the it, film. So. It doesn't. And, Again, that could have been something that they could have very strongly went with because yeah. it's set up really nicely, this whole idea of nature versus man, right? The city is being overwhelmed by nature. And so, you know, the idea that we tinkered with nature to turn it to our advantage and it destroyed us. Like if they would have committed to that, that would have been a badass story. Like there's so yeah. much more you could have done with that. And they just didn't commit to anything. They went for, we're just trying to hit a bunch of notes to make, these things resonate lightly with a bunch of people. Oh, you know, we're maybe we'll go after the Christian demographic. So let's make sure we talk about God a little bit. And we also mm-hmm. want this to feel smart. And so let's make sure we, you know, make him a scientist with a lab and a cure. And, and yeah, it just feels like, hey, load up the buckshot. We're just going to spray the wall. <laughs> mm. So why is this a guilty pleasure for you then? Uh, because I still enjoy like all those things I was talking about. Uh, I like Will Smith. I like his character. I like his performance and, you know, kind of the the silliness of it. And I think the silliness works really well in light of how stark and dead the city is. Um, you know, mm. you feel that the humor doesn't feel overplayed and it doesn't feel silly. Uh, it feels lonely and depressing. Um, and there's... And that contrast, I think, creates a really fun layer to the humor. And, yeah. I, and I appreciate that. I like, yeah, I like I like just hanging out in the apocalypse. I, I'm with you, man. You give me an apocalypse and Will Smith? Shoot. <laughs> give, me, give me the popcorn. <laughs> yeah, we're, take my money. Yeah. <laughs> He's such awesome. an easy you know, character, uh, actor to, to hang out. And I've seen most of his films, to be honest. Like, And I would say I probably don't like half his films. But I still enjoy yeah. going to him. I like, still like him. Yeah, he's a yeah. very likable human being. Yeah. And I think it's for that reason, uh, you threw out the question, like, would this be a black film? I don't think so. I don't. Uh, and this was from a prior episode. I don't know, like uh, several weeks back. I don't think so. I think this is because and I've been working on and this is it's a nebulous thing where what does it mean to have a black film? This is such an interesting question to me because you have to come up with a criteria. And unfortunately, I don't have the criteria pulled up. I will try to remind myself I meant to do this during the Moonlight episode and I forgot because I literally went through the last 50, 60 years of Best Picture nominees and categorized how many films nominated and won were black films. And I had to come up with some kind of criteria. And I think part of it is, you know, it needs to check two out of three boxes or two out of five boxes or something along those lines where the your lead character has to be black. The director has to be black. And at a minimum, black character, black lead, that's a bare minimum. And pretty sure Francis Lawrence is white. I'm not 100% sure. So if you're not, my bad, homie. But, you know, if... 
this also just feels like a Will Smith vehicle. I think he's in so many non-black films that mm -hmm. uh, that kind of skewers the, 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 the picture for me a little bit because there are black films that are made by uh, white directors like Spielberg made The Color Purple. And that's very well. And so you need a majority black cast and preferably a black script behind it. Uh, someone who was black that actually wrote the script. So you need, I think, some level of perspective from, you know, the black community, preferably the American black community, because even though Steve McQueen is black, he's British. And to make and I'm not going to speak on behalf of all of black America, but his perspective may not be the same as someone who grew up black in mm -hmm. America. And so whenever yeah. I'm thinking of black films, I'm specifically thinking of black American films, which gotcha. narrows the pool down a little bit. And so I don't know. I feel like this misses a lot of the criteria. But what I love about it is it's a very diverse film. Like mm -hmm. you have Will Smith, uh, his family's black. You have the next lead character, Alice Braga. I, I'm assuming she's Spanish. I don't know. Uh, she might be Mexican or some other nationality. I have no idea. Apologies for, you know, if I'm butchering that. But and I love that, you know, she's an excellent actor. And my recommendation is focused on her. So stay tuned for that. But it's a really diverse film and that's really cool to see, you know, so many minorities survived, which is usually not the way it goes uh, <laughs> yeah, in no. white films about the end of the world. Right. Uh -huh. And so that's great. There's a lot going for this film uh, diversity wise and that's badass. But yeah, I think I just, I just enjoy it. I mean, it's, it's fun. Okay. Why not? <laughs> cool. Hey, uh, that's fine. I enjoyed it too. So, and thanks for the insight, man, that uh, clarified a lot for me. It was really good. No, say, I'm glad we did this. I'm really glad we did this because we so often do tier one films. A lot, if you go through all, our, all the movies we've done, most of them are excellent movies that don't have these issues. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's been really refreshing and helpful for me to go through a movie that didn't have the answers to help illuminate maybe whenever I run into this in my own work to find mm -hmm. out, oh, here's where I'm going wrong. Here's where yeah. I can, you know, make this add up to something more than the sum of its parts. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you recommended it a few weeks ago, and I'm glad we sat down and actually went through it because, yeah, it's still fun. Yeah. Got to hang out with. So what would you give it out of 10 then? Ooh, six. Or this is, a like, for okay. me, a, a three out of five stars and I extrapolate to six out of 10. So to me, okay. it's fun. It's good. I would have given it a seven, but you talked me down to a six. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like we said man. at the start, and if I really like a film, you can't you can't talk me down. So this true. is a good you, you did good. Well, like yeah. we said at the uh, introduction, like all I do is ruin things. <laughs> That's why I don't get to go to your bunker. <laughs> yeah, no, you can't you can't come. Excommunicado. So, yeah, so like my wife and I, we have a word too. Ooh, that we don't tell anybody. Zitzy fly. So, well, and. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you know it? Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Oh, um, my kids know it and they know not to tell anybody. And, and my wife knows it. And we made it when we got married. And it's, you, you know why we made it? We made it so that if one of us dies, right? And you need to send the message. We can, we can communicate with each other. If there is an afterlife and there we are ghosts or whatever, because I say that that doesn't exist. But what the hell do I know? I know nothing. I know about as much of the stock market as I know about, the, <laughs> you know, post life. So um, we have our word. And so when that word shows up, we know whatever. That's cool. No, I have and, a I have a similar word I made up 
that if I ever want to communicate to myself from the future. <laughs> hey, oh man. I can use that. So, wow. And what's great is I don't know how to spell it. And so that'll be part of the sign that, oh yeah, that's me. Cause I didn't know how to spell that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. Oh man. Yeah. You know, there's just some things that, that you can't tell people like your where your bunker is, your apocalyptic bun- bunker, and your special family word. Keep it secret. So, keep it safe. Keep it secret. Keep it safe. Yeah. Nice. Exactly. It's my totem. <laughs> uh, f- yeah. Fantastic week, man. Thanks so much. Um, what are we? What are we doing next week? Well, first, what are you going to recommend? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to recommend an album, and you probably know it, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm. Yep. You know where I'm going with this. So years ago. I was turned on to this record by a manager of my band at the time. And she said, man, you got to check this out. It's this guy. He lives in Portland or somewhere in Oregon. And, and he's a jazz pianist, but he put out this album that is, it's a concept record about parallels, a long-term relationship and it's arc from meeting the person falling in love, you know, uh, the whole thing first time you have sex and then you know and then the downward spiral and then the eventual breakup with a zombie apocalypse which is it was i was like oh my god i gotta listen to this and it's unbelievable it's so good and it makes me weep in moments still to this day and i think it was 2009 or or something where it came out maybe maybe 2008 uh, it's just, yeah, 2009 and it's, it's so good. It's called, um, so the artist is Gavin Castleton and the, the album is called home. It's from his uh, 2009 release and it's on Bandcamp. And, you know, he's the kind of guy who's like a, um, he's a musician by trade and COVID's really hurt him a lot because you can't gig as a musician. You lose pretty much all your income when that's your only income is to play shows. So I will, uh, I will send a link to us. We can put it in the show notes to his band camp where you can either buy the digital version of home for $9 or you can buy his whole discography for like 50 bucks or something. And he, he's an amazing pianist and an incredible songwriter. Um, I follow him on Instagram and he's posted a couple of songs that he's written in quarantine. He has a daughter now and he wrote a song for his daughter about him and his wife or girlfriend or whatever break breaking up but it's to his daughter about things like like just it's just uh, unbelievable songwriting so yeah gavin castleton home 2009 will be uh link will be in the show notes nice very excited about that and you're right that's a badass album like i listened to it way back whenever you recommended it you should listen again it holds up i agree I, i will i'm gonna go support the cause and throw them some bones Nicely done, man. Yeah. Mine is going to be much less fun. I'm going to recommend if you want to see Alice Braga again, like she's done a lot of really great films. She's an incredible actor. I'm going to recommend Blindness, but with a caveat. It's it's I Am Legend if everything was the worst. <laughs> like <laughs> This is a movie. It's one of the most violent films I've probably seen. And it's like top three. I think the only one that I couldn't watch if I had to watch this or like martyrs I would watch this but that's how bad it would have to get for me to to want to watch blindness again so I I put a big asterisk wow. there you need to be able to like watch Deal a with Disney it. film afterwards or something cuz it's such a dark 
heavy, brutal film. But by contrast, I, I think it does have something to say, even if you don't want to hear it. <laughs> like, it's not a fun message and a fun world to explore, but it's heavy, it's dark, and it's incredibly well made. And I've never forgotten it. I watched it when it came out, probably around the same time. I want to say this is probably around 2008 or so. And it's brutal. So if you like pain, okay. go check that out. <laughs> like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, you got to oh, really want to hurt I'm, yourself. I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> I wanna hurt. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Noted. All the Nevels out there, you found your destruction. Yeah. So stay tuned next week. Uh, we're going to be doing Dope. If you've never seen that, it's a fun little movie. Uh, cinematography by Rachel Morrison, who's like my mm. favorite cinematographer. She's amazing. And it's a fun, yeah, it's a fun, fun little movie. So go watch Dope and come back next week. And if you want to subscribe, don't forget, review us on iTunes. If you have not yet, we could always use one more. And if you want to drop a note on this episode and tell us what you think it's really about that we missed and it's just so obvious obviously this is about i don't know how goldfish survive everything i have no idea what you could pull out of your you know hat <laughs> so drop us a note here at the pestlepodcast.com slash i am legend awesome and we'll leave you with the quote of the day from bob marley every man got a right to decide his own destiny might as well quote bob marley absolutely you know yeah. Yeah. I got nothing really to add. I, I got nothing to add to that, man. Yeah. I totally agree in every single way. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah, this has been fun, dude. Thanks, man. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks so much for the insight. Yeah. I didn't I didn't know most of that stuff. I didn't think of most of that stuff and it really opened my eyes. Hopefully it opened your eyes too. Thank you guys for joining us. Join us next week. We'll we'll be covering dope. Until then, I'm Todd. I am Wes. Go watch some movies.